you know, I was thinking, isn't it about time for Beyond the Mouse Brett's Big Birthday Bash Classics Crossover Who Framed Roger Rabbit Extravaganza? Don't you think? I'd say so. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse Podcast, the podcast for all things Disney for NPR Illinois Community Voices and for the Front Row Network. I'm your host today, Craig, joined by my co-host, the lovely Vanessa Ferguson. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And the, the, the person that we bring you here today to celebrate, Mr. Brett Rutherford, on his birthday, the second time we get a chance to really formally celebrate your birthday on Beyond the Mouse. How are you, sir? Well, I'm very good. Thank you. But, you know, it isn't just about me this year because I want, I'm a giver because November is also Noir-vember with our friends at Front Row Classics. So that's why I was thinking, you know, we talked about this for such a long time and I'm like going, let's, because it is one of my favorite movies, let's have a classics crossover with Who Framed Roger Rabbit and make it a birthday extravaganza. What do you say? I think that that's a perfect decision for you because you were really testy about my birthday pick. And no, so no, you no, knew no, no, that no, I had no, to no. be so nice in front of guests if you were to pick Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So we do testy? have joining us from Front Row Classics, the hosts of Front Row Classics, host number one, Mr. Brandon Davis. Well, hello. So good to be back. And host number 1.5 in our hearts, Mr. Eric Flick. How are you, sir? I'm, I'm good. Is 1.5 better than 2? or where, I'm not sure how to take that one. In my mind, it is better than 2. Um, but we can take votes on that later, I think. So this is the first time you've been on Beyond the Mouse, Eric. Uh, is that true? We've, we've, had, we've had several of you guest on uh, Classics. But yeah. I don't think we've had all three of you at the same time. So Never at the same time. This is certainly the first time the five of us have gotten together. Yeah. Isn't that exciting? It. It's it like is. a birthday party or happy, something. Happy Did someone bring cake? Yeah. Can I interject here and say, Craig, last time Brandon was on, you kept insulting him. Now you're starting off the episode insulting Eric. Could you try not to insult our guests in this episode, please? We'd like to have friends after this. Okay. The only person I intend to insult at all in this episode is Brett. I did not mean to <laughs> insult Eric at all. Okay. Call him okay, Mr. Audio. 1.5. Oh, I think that's better. Well, it's not quite number one, but, well, it's, but less than two. Come on. You, well, get it I together, had, McFarland. I, I think we're that. missing focus. This is about... Uh, um, well, me your birthday and uh, yes. me, and, yes. and, and 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 also, man, Craig. I'm sorry. You just you know you just sort of as the host, you sort of you know did a zinger and then went right to something else. So I'm like going. So let's just back up. So audience, when you hear this, you did hear him say that this is he's out anyway. He's not in the most celebratory mood with my birthday, but we'll make that ch- we'll change yeah. that around. He, we'll turn him around. Give him some sugar, some cake, or something. Yes. You know. And and Brett, Eric, and I, you know, talked, and we wanted to bring you a gift, but we didn't have time to rehearse the piccolino for you. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> the piccolino! Now that one's in my head. Oh, I, know. Oh, oh, I love the piccolino. That would be a great present. Well, maybe next year. I don't know. But I'm excited. Thank you, yes. though. It's the thought that counts. And if you yes. don't get the reference, go back to the classics yes. library and find the last time Brett was with us. That yes, yes. yes. We should definitely uh, push all of our listeners to go and listen to Front Row Classics if you're not already doing that, because Brandon and Eric do such a great job of breaking down these films. I actually uh, just listened to their June episode on the day the Earth stood still because I watched that for the first time last night. So I immediately knew that these two had covered it along with our buddy Ryan Lutons, and I jumped right into uh, that episode. And it was so nice to be able to have that context to something you just watched, especially like a movie like that, that really is more of a message piece movie. It was just really cool to be able to get that conversation immediately following it so definitely go and check out front row classics uh, for sure and this is kind of the perfect film not only to celebrate 
the man that is Brett Rutherford, but also to uh, bring together these two shows because what we have here is the perfect mixture of a noir. Uh, we get a lot of that in uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. We also, of course, bring in all of these animated characters. And I am a little surprised, though, Brett, that you would pick this film. And only because of this reason, and this is truly not me trying to uh, oh, sure. pick a no, fight okay. with you. Oh, right. Uh-huh. What's interesting uh-huh. is you uh, sometimes have difficulty <laughs> uh, saying any words related to any competitors of the Disney company. So it's interesting to see uh, the mixture of the Looney Tunes and also the Disney characters and sort of how that all came to be. But I guess we should start with you, Brett. Why choose this movie? Why bring us all together for this auspicious occasion? Well, it's November, and I wanted to bring more, you know, our good friends from the classics to come on over and have a wonderful movie viewing party, you know, the whole Noir Vember thing. Yeah, that is really about them. It's about bringing us all together. Mm-hmm. You're such mm-hmm. a gr- giving person and we're I so am. grateful for that. So well, now, you. Eric, on your show in Classics, I know that you like to do a recap of the film prior to getting into it. And today, I think you're going to recruit some help in doing that. Is that right? Yeah. So, uh, before we get started, too, I want to say, uh, again, happy birthday, Brett. Thank uh, you. I am so glad that you chose this film, too, because this is actually – we got contacted by one of the Classics listeners, mm-hmm. uh, Hope Cherry, uh, who asked us to put together uh, a review of this film, a discussion of this film. Uh, and so – that was months ago. It's taken us this long to get around to it, but because you chose that, we were like, well, "Why not? Why not join uh, Beyond the Mouse?" So we're we're ecstatic to uh, put this together for you and for her. Oh, that's uh, great. Thank you. Yeah, I'm 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 glad that we all get to do this. So let's. same same now. Uh, in preparing for this, we sort of had a uh, discussion via some uh, messenger apps, and Vanessa mentioned that she doesn't get this movie, and it's it's a film noir. There are pieces of this, of this movie that it may be difficult to kind of put together, especially when you add sort of the madcap nonsense into this movie. So what I thought we'd do is sort of collectively walk through the the plot of this movie rather quickly and then get on to the the fun parts and the the discussion of it uh so and the cake and the birthday i'm sorry go ahead sorry i'm sorry to interrupt they'll be singing uh that will happen i'm sure at some point uh but so let's start with the the premise of this movie because it's wacky so vanessa what's what's going on i mean what's the first thing you notice in the movie okay there is a world in which human people and then cartoons coexist, but it's kind of prejudice and they all, the cartoons have to live in their own town. And I'm pretty sure they also can't like use like, I don't know, the same water fountains or something, but it's awful. Oh dear. But they, they are together and then keep going or should oh. I, I mean, that's, that's what, that's yeah. where they are. Okay. That's, abs- that's so absolutely. Then there's like, keep going. There's absolutely. a murder, and people think this bunny rabbit did it. But the guy who gets murdered, he because he played, he has a uh, 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 electrocuting hand, <laughs> and he he played joy patty buzzer? cake with what? his wife, no, who is not sorry. whose last name is Rabbit, but is not a rabbit. Yeah, and she's not very, wife, very sexy. And this is not appropriate for children to watch. Stop I'm not quite, I'm not Pause. sure why there's cartoons in this. Okay, sorry. Because I think for clarity's sake, there there is a person that gets murdered. We know who gets murdered, though. So that is uh, Mr. Acme, who not only owns a company that produces gag gifts, like the joy buzzer that he definitely uses to, in the, the beginning of the movie, but he also happens to own Toontown, right? So And and they accuse the rabbit of killing him, but they could have just as easily accused Eddie, the 
private investigator slash photographer of killing him because he got ink on his shirt. And that is so rude. And he could have snapped, but no one ever suspected that. I think someone's going to snap before this night's over. But anyway, go ahead. Oh, should I keep going? Okay. I'm loving this. This is the best recap. So, So Eddie is a private investigator and he is forced to help the rabbit to to clear his name because the rabbit says he didn't kill this guy and Eddie suspects that yeah he probably didn't kill this guy because there's a will and in the will the owner of Toontown is going to leave town to the tunes as it should be I don't know how he became the owner to begin with but whatever so he so the private investigator is helping him and then Ha cha cha cha. We get to the end of the movie. And yes, Rabbit didn't kill him. And his wife didn't did play patty cake. She did play patty cake, but she was set up to play patty cake. And she was set up by this really creepy guy in a black hat and he wears glasses. And he this is where it lost me because he's actually a cartoon. I'm fine with that. But why is he wanting to kill other cartoons? To build a freeway? That doesn't make any sense. And then why did he kill? Oh, another part of this is that the investigator hates cartoons, which is good because he has to help the rabbit, but he hates the rabbit. Okay. Then he, but he hates them because his brother was killed by a cartoon, but the evil guy killed his brother. But why did he kill his brother? What is this to build a freeway? This is so strange. I'm really to me. Rethinking we don't my know. I don't here. understand this motivation that this rando cartoon has to kill his own kind to build cement. Cement, a road. Okay. Eric, did you have anything else in your part of the recap that you wanted to uh, add? How about there? like a real recap? I mean, I Just covered kidding. everything. I, what else did. is there yeah. to clarify? No, I think Vanessa I, handled it well. I just. I, mm. Just A to B, that was perfect. Exactly. A, A to B and everywhere in between. Yep. I will tell you, uh, as we're starting to discuss this film, uh, I had a new appreciation for it this time when I watched it. I've always enjoyed this film. As a child, I was terrified by Christopher Lloyd, um, and especially that reveal at the end that Vanessa was talking about. But I love this film uh, more today than I ever have, and that's because... I love the Michael Eisner of this film. Uh, This is the most Michael Eisner film that Disney ended up producing in his tenure because it was a film that was actually uh, being brought to the studio prior to him, but then it had died. Uh, It was kind of sitting on the shelf and Eisner brought it back. And the reason why I say it's, it's really his film is because it marries the Disney characters with Touchstone which is the film brand that he really wants to get going uh, in the late 80s, early 90s to be able to bring more adult type content to the theaters. But then also he puts all of these characters so prominently back into the parks. So Roger Rabbit is running loose everywhere in Disneyland, in MGM Hollywood Studios after this. And so I think uh, more so than ever before, I appreciated how Disney brought this together and kind of the behind the scenes of how this movie came to be. Um, there is a 50 50 credit between Steven Spielberg and Jeffrey Katzenberg, as far as Amblin entertainment, and then also uh, Disney here. So it's, it's interesting to see those big giants work together. It's almost like when I was a kid and there was a DC versus Marvel comics that came out and it had all of the characters that you always wanted to see together, but you never thought that you could. And here was your opportunity to see Daffy Duck and Donald Duck battle it out on a piano. You never knew that you wanted to see that, but now you've gotten it. So you add in those bits and pieces and you add in all the noir that comes into this that I now can better understand because of my friends, Eric and Brandon, who have taught me so much about film noir. Uh, I really thoroughly enjoyed this film uh, through and through. So, Brett, I will not be 
jumping on this film too much for you tonight because it really is. It's a, it's a fun film. I do agree with Vanessa uh, as far as when you would want to have a child watch this film. That's kind of a, you know, it depends on the parenting style. Jessica Rabbit is Jessica Rabbit. But at the same time, that, that model of the femme fatale, uh, who I think is basically what Jessica Rabbit's trying to fit into that mold, she's playing that perfectly, right? Am I right there, Brandon? Yeah, yeah, definitely. She's uh, She looks like uh, a combination of like Rita Hayworth and Veronica Lake, and she sounds like Lauren Bacall. So she's a perfect uh, model of a 1940s film noir femme fatale. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Brett, why don't you tell us about your thoughts uh, initially on this film, and then we can go in and talk about some of the voice acting and the acting that goes on. We have to talk about Bob Hoskins so much because we love him and we miss him. Um, but, Brett, go ahead and tell us about this film as your first impression. Well, the first impression, I I was a cast member at Walt Disney World when this film came out. So, you know, I was really excited to see it and uh, and did with friends. And actually, there were a lot of, you know, uh, entertainment cast members who just happened to be at the theater for that. And it was it was kind of like this wonderful celebration because it was um it was, it was, we knew that it was going to touch all of our lives in some way. The rabbit was coming to Walt Disney World. Roger, that is, is coming to Walt Disney World. And he did for, you know, a short time until, I don't know, there was a little, um, you can't use him in copyright infringement and, you know, that sort of stuff. So he was replaced by Goofy in, uh, in Spectro Magic, but originally it was anyway, but that's a that's a Disney Park story. But I just I just love this film. And when we get into all the details and all that, I that's I can tell you a little bit more about why I love this. But my first impression was I can't wait to get this into the parks because it was also it came it came out right before the opening of the Disney MGM Studios. So Roger Rabbit and Jessica became and what? No, and the dip the dip mobile. Yeah, all of that <laughs> yeah. became part of uh, of the Disney MGM Studios, so that was cool. So you know, so I saw it from a cast member perspective and really enjoyed it. So, in know. a way, if um, Sleeping Beauty Castle was put into Disneyland to help promote and kind of open Disneyland, because that was the film that was coming out. Really, Roger Rabbit is like the film that comes out right before MGM Studios is open, and talk about there's no better film to really bring into that park than a film that is literally set in old town Hollywood, the golden age of Hollywood in the forties. And uh, you have all these zany characters that you can bring into the park as well. So uh, it is cool to see that incorporation too, but let's focus on the movie as well. And uh, Eric, talk to me about your overall first impressions on this film. Uh, I saw this movie in the theaters as well. And I was in my teenage years at that point. So there were a couple of things that had a very big impression on a uh, very impressionable young Eric. Uh, but what I appreciated was, and at that time, I was a much bigger fan of Warner Brother cartoons because I thought that they were, you know, smartly put together. They were accessible. They were on television a lot. You know, you didn't have to get a VHS tape to watch any of those. And I felt like this movie sort of played more to an adult audience in that sort of way. So I appreciated that it didn't dumb itself down to a kid's audience and that it still could be enjoyable to kids of a certain age, then also enjoyable. I could see it as enjoyable to adults as well. Vanessa, I was confused the first time around too. The plot's kind of dense. I mean, it's a, it's a, film noir that you peel the onion back and try to figure out what's going on we didn't mention it in our recap but there's actually uh three unsolved murders in this movie that don't get uh resolved until the third act so the script is phenomenal and i appreciate it more today having seen a lot more noir and i think vanessa if you're familiar with the the movie chinatown you could see that a lot of this movie is a love letter and a reference to that film. And that, that's, you know, one of the greatest movies, one of the greatest film noirs of all time. So for it to pay homage to that is, is, you know, very cool to see and, and very enjoyable to watch. 
Vanessa, I think we're going to jump right to you. I mean, I know you did your recap and we could kind of maybe read between the lines there a little bit, but um, go ahead and tell us about maybe this viewing of the film. I know you've seen it before. I saw it when I was a wee lass and it was um, a lot of things went over my head uh, just as they continue to do now. But I remember being kind of violent and I just didn't, love it as a kid it was interesting but i i just remember just kind of being confused and um and just really remembering jessica rabbit because she is one memorable lady and now upon a second viewing i still kind of feel like it's kind of violent i appreciate it a lot more i appreciate um, Bob Hoskins so much. Uh, and I think what was accomplished with this film is really remarkable. Um, I, I was really trying to be my best Brandon and Eric and know exactly what was happening. But then by the end, I'm like, what, I, what, what did he just say? What? So I am looking forward to the end of this recording where someone will tell me what I missed. Cause I feel like I might've just missed something, but you know, there you go. I don't know that you missed anything. Honestly, I think that you got the whole story. It's just a matter of if that's the style of film. And uh, do you do you tend to enjoy noir at all as a well, as a genre? I enjoy Pino all the time. But <laughs> why there is a freeway mentioned? I mean, is the noir genre well known for its highway I, well, uh, plot points? We do know that we do know that roads roads do come up quite often in Christopher Lloyd properties. Um, in fact, in some of his films, he even says he doesn't need roads where he's going. Um, and maybe that's Not because film. maybe that's because he uh, decided that he yeah. had a bad experience with this freeway. Um, maybe and so. You know, it's all about uh, that although freeway. I think I think uh, I think Back to the Future Two came out before this, but. Time. Christopher Lloyd drives a DeLorean in real life and, and obviously can uh, can travel through time. Brandon, please save me. Yes, um, go save. ahead and Thank talk to you, me about your impressions. Cake. But then I also want you to go right into talking about Bob Hoskins because yeah. he is the, the man of the hour here. Yeah. Uh, uh, <clears throat> oh, sorry, Brett. No. <laughs> No, no, no. Go uh, ahead, but he's okay. man one point five. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. No, to, cake. to to me, this is a this is a miracle of a movie, and this is a movie I can watch any time of year. I, I watch it several times a year. It's one of my go tos whenever I'm in a bad mood or anything like that. It just it's comfort food for me, and it, it always has been. And I just I I love the the look of it. I love the style of it, and really like most noir and Eric, you and I, we've talked about this noir. A lot of times is more about the journey of getting there than what the answers you get. Um, if for those of you that don't listen to our episodes, Eric and I did an episode on the big sleep, one of the greatest noirs of all time. And Howard Hawks, the director actually sent a telegram to Raymond Chandler, who wrote the novel and said, Ray, who actually killed the chauffeur? And uh, Raymond Chandler sent him a telegram back saying, no idea. So <laughs> it's not about the answers that you get. It's about style over substance. And this movie uh, perfectly crafts a universe, um, a film noir universe using cartoon characters. And it's it's a perfect setup of absurdity and, you know, just incredibly serious stuff. And it's all... It all centers on the character of Eddie Valiant, and Bob Hoskins is brilliant. I don't know how he did it to act with, when you see behind-the-scenes stuff, and he's acting to, you know, dolls and nothing there, and he's playing it totally straight. He's he's acting like he's working with Robert De Niro and not a cartoon rabbit, and it's it's perfect. And he was one of the great underrated actors of all time, and... Mm -hmm. The I best love, me. He's I love <laughs> tremendous. But no, I I love this character. He he, you feel for him all the way, and nothing is ever winked at at the camera. And it, it's a great, great, great performance. 
You know, and, and it's great because I, in my mind, watching it this time, I was paralleling this performance to Michael Caine in um, Muppets Christmas Carol because they both are playing the the way that that character should be played, not making any reference to the fact that they're playing alongside these animated characters. At least Michael Caine at least had Muppets there in the space to be able to work off of. Um, Bob Hoskins doesn't have that. He has, like you were saying, these stand-ins for what the animation will look like. But uh, likely he saw some of the final products. He probably didn't see this whole thing together until he saw it at the premiere, which is just absolutely incredible. I will also say that I noticed this time that I have the exact, now this is an audio podcast, but I have the exact hair of Bob Hoskins in this film. And so I really, truly appreciate him so much more because that man, I've got his hair. Well, so well, he, well he's got hair in a lot of places in this movie. I should say at the top of my head. Right? At the top where, of my head. Where are we? I need the cake. Can we, can we point out too that this is 1988? Yeah. So this is this is five years before Jurassic Park mm-hmm. puts animated dinosaurs on screen, and this is well before you know we get a Jar Jar Binks, which is this fully animated character that uh, people have to act with. So, and it has it hasn't aged. No, what my point was is that Bob Hoskins is acting with a green screen essentially this whole film. Yeah. That's common. I mean, that's every Marvel movie that, that is made today. Uh, in 1988, nobody did that. So mm-hmm. to be able to do that is, is a huge accomplishment for him, too. Really, this is the first uh, to integrate it in such a way. And I mean, even Mary Poppins only did it in certain scenes. This is consistently throughout the entire film um, that it comes back to this. And it's just incredible how it's done and incredible how it interweaves some of your favorite Disney characters along with um, your favorite Looney Tunes characters. And then just all these other cartoon characters as well. And they were actually going out and trying to grab others even, and they couldn't get the licensing agreements done in order to get even more uh, characters into this, which, but it just all works together. But Brett, any thoughts on Bob Hoskins, or we can start to also talk about uh, some of our other characters as well, but I want to make sure if you had comments on the good sir that you got to get in on this. Oh my gosh. Well, his physical comedy, you know, is, is amazing because of the situation that he's putting himself in. And it looks like a lot of the stunts are, you know, are things that he did, you know, falls and some other things. Um, but, you know, so I'm like going, I was, you know, when I was watching it this time, I'm like going stunt double or Bob Hoskins. And it was Bob Hoskins. I'm like going, so I'm sorry, lots of trips to the chiropractor and all of that <laughs> later on in life. But I'm like, going, it's so good. He's so good. Mm-hmm. He he is just so good. Vanessa, did you have any thoughts on Eddie Valiant before we move on? I know you had not had a chance to comment. This is the most amazing part of this whole movie is Bob Hoskins. First of all, he is so adorable. Can I just say he is just the cutest. Okay. But he's very Phil Collins-esque. So, you know, a type. He does it for her. Mm -hmm. He does. He's so cute. Um, But just, you know, Eric can speak to this too, is that, you know, we do uh, object work and improv and imagining something that's not there and he's so good at it but not only is he good with like what he's doing with his arms and and his hands but his facial reaction because it's not over the top i think it could be very easy to be over the top with your expressions because you're compensating for someone not being there and he's just so spot on he's so good i would highly recommend that anyone watching this again after listening to this go back and just really focus in on his face and what he's doing with his face because he's just brilliant Mm -hmm. completely agree with you and you know there's a lot of characters that we absolutely could go down a a rabbit hole as it were and talk about i do really want to just focus mainly on christopher lloyd and the villain of this piece um and then of course if you have any uh thoughts on the voice actors we can do that as well but i really want to dig 
where I want to go with this film and why I think it connects so well for Brett's birthday is I really oh, want to dig me. into thought, oh, okay. the Thank animation you. and to the production design and all of that, because I think that that is where this film is really uh, very remarkable. It's where it wins most of its Academy Awards. It's winning awards for uh, best visual effects and best sound editing um, and, and all of that best film editing as well. So, you know, I, I think that we can definitely, uh, go into that but before we do we have a great villain here and that is christopher lloyd and you know he's shown as judge doom first of all so you know from the very start he's probably not a good dude but he uh is all in black the entire film um and you don't actually see him as often throughout this piece. But then, of course, in that final third act, he really becomes the star of that. And I will tell you, there was nothing more terrifying than when he inflates himself with the helium balloon thing. That freaked me out as a kid. Um, And I I enjoy his uh, acting. I enjoy everything that he's bringing to us here as being that maniacal kind of over the top in a trench coat kind of villain that we see. It's just, he does remarkable work here. Vanessa, I went to you last, last time. I want to go to you first now. Oh, he is so good. And for some reason, I didn't even recognize that this was Christopher Lloyd because he's plays kind of this uh, zany kind of spaced out guy often like we know him from Back to the Future and Taxi. And and so to see him so evil in this, just he's so good at it. And then is that not the best villain reveal of any movie ever? I mean, it is so creepy. Ah, uh, yeah. When I, I just, I, I remember being terrified as a kid. I can't even explain why it's so terrifying because he's flat, but it is so scary and awesome. And uh, now when the cartoon eyeballs start popping out of his head, that's when V Furry Fur has to turn off the TV a little bit sooner than everyone else. But everything else, he's so good. And yeah, I, I just, I love him in this. He's, he is a great comic book villain at that point. And again, I think it's because this movie does such a great job of marrying the idea of this film noir with the comic strips that Roger Rabbit's coming from. And to me, Judge Doom does that very perfectly. Uh, Brett, before I go to the classics, guys, again, birthday boy. Tell me, <laughs> what do you think about Christopher well, Lloyd? Well, I mean, you know, he sets the tone for what he is capable of i mean right off the bat when he he takes the dip and the shoe and i I mean that's hard to that is so hard to watch he it was is, actually like way more emotional this time i don't know oh my gosh committing suicide suicide for sure (laughs) oh did he like that one i'm sorry i'm sorry i just thought of that he's the converse killer Oh my goodness! What is happening? I'm like going. Okay, anyone else? Yeah, jokes come in threes, don't they? You're literally literally killing my soul with these jokes. (laughs) See, Vanessa, you bring it home. Thank you. There it is. So, please, Brandon, tell us uh, your thoughts on Mr. Christopher Lloyd. I, I love Christopher Lloyd in this movie because as an actor, he just gets it. He understands where, what levels he has to play this at. I mean, that freeway speech at the end is the most ridiculous. If you read it on paper, it is the most ridiculous villain speech in history, but he reads it like he is playing Othello. Mm-hmm. And it is, he knows exactly what he is playing. He gets that this guy is a tune and he's going to play it that way and Lloyd is amazing another underrated actor in my opinion I don't think he gets the credit he deserves but uh, yeah it's one of the great villain performances of all time and uh, just listening to some of the stuff I've been listening to there were several different scripts about who the actual villain was going to be there was a there was a script where Jessica Rabbit was going to be the killer there was a script where baby Herman was going to be the killer and then there was a script where um, with with Judge Doom and I think they went the right way because I don't think anybody else could have done that final scene the way he does 
Yeah, I completely agree. Eric, any uh, final thoughts here on Christopher Lloyd before we get into some of our other animated characters and or production? Completely underrated actor. Uh, and we discussed this when we discussed on Classics, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh-huh. Uh, and there you see it. You see a, a, an actor, every actor in that movie has magnificent chops. Christopher Lloyd is underrated because he chose films like this and The Addams Family and Back to the Future and had fun with his career. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with it. And I agree 100% with Brandon. He brings everything he's got to this role. And the thing that I find most terrifying about this character is not that he's a bad guy. You know that from the beginning of the movie. But he he goes all the way back to the murder of Eddie's brother, too. So that reveal is just like, oh, this guy's been manipulating things behind the scenes for so long now. He now becomes this villain that, you know, arcs the entire length of the film and all the history of the characters that we know. And it, that, that to me was even scarier than some of the physical things that he's doing. With those red eyes, right? And yeah. then you get that great reveal after the eyes pop out uh, onto the floor and you see those big, massive red eyes. Brett, I want you to kind of guide where we go next. Uh, so we can definitely talk a bit about some of the animation style or we can go right into the production design. But I kind of want to get your thoughts on this marriage between the Warner Brothers properties and the Disney properties. So there were certain characters where... They said they absolutely have to share scenery. They had, there were even some uh, stipulations that some of the characters had to have the same word count going into this production. And that's why you get a scene like Daffy versus Donald, which is one of my favorites in the entire film, going back and watching it again. But what were your thoughts about this kind of uh, bringing these two worlds, these two worlds collide in this film? Oh, I loved it. I mean, I, you know, I'm like going, it's only a certain, it's only a couple of studios I have issues with, but certainly not this at the time. I mean, please, it was released under Touchstone. So all things are good because it's fair because it was, you know, basically the money went to Disney and I'm sure everyone else too, but it was fun to watch all of this. And, and I was, when I was watching it this time, because there were certain characters, of course, I love to see, who are you kidding? Um, there's so much to talk about with this, but if we're talking about, I can we talk about some of the characters? Yeah, that's okay. absolutely, for okay. sure. Thank Go for you. it, man. Because it's my birthday. So there was um, Mademoiselle Umpanova, which is the ostrich. Um, and I've worked with some ostriches and they do have attitude. You know, in fact, one time I worked with an ostrich that, you know, that kind of said, um, he said actually to another ostrich said, you know, just because we're in the same dance company does not mean we have to be friends. And they were serious. But anyway, and then there was also the, the, well, the hippo, um, which was Hyacinth hippo, which nobody's going to touch that ostrich story. No, I like hey, like, we just let it go on. Yeah, All right. It's true. It's what happened. Eric, we've heard this ostrich story. I was there. Oh, oh this is just okay. it's true. It's true. If you heard yeah. one ostrich story, you heard them all. Yeah. I they know. have really it's big eggs. That's line. all I know it's about ostriches. Line. I Largest eggs. But then it was, you know, seeing um seeing Hyacinth Hippo, which, you know, I love that, you know. For You've been friends reasons. with uh, Hyacinth Hippo. Um I well I am yeah, I'm friends with Hyacinth. You're very friendly. Hippo, yes. Um and so, you know, seeing those characters, but I, I think, you know, something that was a style choice is that for the most part we're visiting characters as they were drawn or seen at the time of like the 1947 reference. But I was noticing this time, I'm like going, there are penguins serving and the penguins did not really show up until like 1960 something. But, you know, I'm going to give them that because it's penguin serving and it's a classic, you know, but, but yeah, Betty Boop is in it. But yeah, it was great seeing all of those characters and Dumbo and all of them. I just loved that. Oh, mm-hmm. so I, I agree with you because what I love about this too is like in this world that we're watching it now, seeing so much 3D animation, it's cool to see all these characters in that original 2D art form that they uh, were presented in. Uh, And actually I did see, I went back and I saw a screen test for the potential sequel to Roger Rabbit that never happened. And it was done in a 3D animation style. Um, And it, it just, I don't know, it doesn't have the same, like, it's very brief, uh, and I will certainly send it around to all of you and 
mm-hmm. if you're interested in it, but it, it, it doesn't have the same, like, um, I don't know, like animation quality of like bringing us back to more of that again, yeah. golden age of Hollywood, but also golden age of animation when yeah. Walt is really building up the studio and producing all of these shorts along with Fantasia and Dumbo and all these other classics as well. So yeah. uh, it's just, it's cool to see them all interact and play together. And then like at the very end, even seeing, uh, you know, that's all folks. And then you see Tinkerbell come in as well. Like the, it, it's like, you know, just them marrying those two together all throughout the film just is wonderful how it's yeah, it done fun. within the script. So Vanessa, you're my other BTM f- friend. So go ahead and talk about some of the animation style too. He stumbled over friend, by the way. I did. He did. Well, that's because he was looking at me. Anyway, really just did. kidding. It's my birthday. Well, I, I was, you know, I, I agree with everything that's been said. And I would just like to talk a little bit about Roger Rabbit since Brett got to talk about ostriches and hippos and the other members of the animal kingdom. I was thinking we could talk about this rabbit because he's, he's so funny and so good. And in the making of this, that guy was so serious about this role that he walked around on set in a rabbit costume to to portray this character he didn't see it as voicing the character he saw it as playing this character and it's so funny in you know when you can listen to interviews uh with bob hoskins talk about this it's it's like bob hoskins is like you see when you see how good of an actor he is and how serious he is and then you hear him talk about this other guy who's walking around in a rabbit costume (laughs) i mean it's 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 quite humorous but but he did he did a great job and and so my favorite part i have to share of this movie is the line where roger rabbits when he uh bob hoskins says could you have taken those handcuffs off the whole time he's like no only when it was funny and is that not something that i would say to you brett because if it's funny it's fair yes oh it's so good and then and then also when he says uh wouldn't you know it locked and then he leans on the window and then he falls and it's just there's so (laughs) many funny well-delivered lines i love when he busts through the wall and says two bits like it's just so sticky it's so funny it's classic I do love Roger Rabbit in this movie. Charles yeah. Fleischer, right? Charles yes. Fleischer. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, yeah. Let's let's get classy in here. Let's go to our classic guys. Someone please talk about Joanna Cassidy. But anyway, Joanne Cassidy. Uh, she's great in this film, you know, and she's a uh, uh, actress that had a long television career and you know she she's the perfect foil for uh our main characters she she's got one of my favorite lines dabbling in watercolors eddie <laughs> oh, <laughs> I love that that, and I, th- I love her a tune killed his brother i'm just you know her delivery for that is just so you know taking it so seriously you know i love that i was kind of doing the big business thing with this film i mean that was my last year you know brett's birthday we remember you know know, so i'm like doing the lines with it so when she you know when she says a tune killed his brother i'm like you know i'm doing that too so i love that it was great anyway so thank you for mentioning her thank you back to back back to your hosting duties craig thank you anytime uh so brandon uh anything that you have left about the animation or do you want to actually talk more about Maybe uh, you can also enlighten us on your thoughts on how they brought the specter of film noir into this as well. Well, I just, you you know, like everyone has mentioned, though, I love seeing all these characters together, first of all, though. I love, um, you you know, the fact that you have uh, the Chuck Jones Warner Brothers characters there, and this is the last time that the legendary Mel Blanc voiced a lot of these characters, because he would die the following year. Um, So Bugs and Daffy and all those characters, but... um, yeah, I, it's really ingenious because it's a really, 
it's a it's a storyline right out of 1947 you know it's convoluted as you can get and uh but but when you add the animated characters it's a totally different level but everybody plays it straight and what um what i really have found interesting in uh doing research is robert zemeckis um, really shot the movie as if the animated characters weren't there. And, and, and they, they did not make accommodations in the editing or the shooting for animated characters. So they had to go back in and do that because he said, no, this movie is going to look like a real film noir. It's not going to look animated or, or Disney-like or Warner Brothers-like in, in that terms. So, um, it, that's what's so special about it is, is that the, animated characters are really peppered into the larger film noir going on but no it's great the tone and alan silvestri's score is absolutely perfect it 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 gives you that you know glorious gumshoe private eye feel and and it gets exactly zany when it has to it just it walks a perfect line between gritty you know private eye story and and zany cartoon it, it it's it should not have worked but it did and it did in such a good way and you know you could have just stopped by saying alan Silvestri's score is just amazing period and everything that he's ever done because that man has brought us so much amazing music to fit to these properties. But Eric, what are your thoughts on some of the uh, noir elements or the animation uh, in this film? Well, I really wanted to point out that this was a huge risk. I mean, to take these characters and put them in a 1940s noir. And I would argue that this was Disney's nadir in popularity in the last you know, 35 years or so. Uh, this is a year before Little Mermaid, correct? Mm-hmm. So to to put a movie like this together, and I know that they had their properties in it, they had the Warner Brother properties in it, assumed that that would bring some uh, people to it, but this thing could have been an enormous flop, and they threw $77 million at it. Uh, so it's a real risk to take when you Get somebody like Robert Zemeckis, who just is a master at telling a story and knows how to tell a story to an audience in this way. I I think that's one of the reasons that this thing works. Brandon mentioned peppering in the cartoons. I mean, this thing could have been 75% animated, 25% real life, and they went the other way. And I think that is one of the greatest choices. Uh, Not only did it probably save them money, uh, but it grounded the film really, really well. And and to go off you, Eric, I don't know that there's a Disney Renaissance without this movie, because I mm. I think I think I think animation uh, I think this reinvigorated interest in animation that sort of opened the door for Mermaid the next year. Um, I think I think audiences saw this and were like, hmm, man, yeah, animation is really cool. And I think I think I think by the late '80s, people had kind of forgotten a little bit of the charm of what animation can do and so i think i think mermaid might not have been quite as welcomed had roger rabbit not sort of opened that door that is a very interesting uh thought because you know of course we all have this image in our mind at least speaking for my btm crowd here that uh you have little mermaid that comes along after things like the black cauldron. And uh, it really just completely turns the whole studio on its head because it is such a smash hit and propels us into so many years of Disney classics now. Um, But yeah, it's, it's interesting the timing of this again. So Eisner's coming over from Paramount and he is known for taking these kind of risks. And so that is why, again, coming back to my thoughts at the beginning, this is such a piece of Michael Eisner's legacy in Disney, in my mind. Um, Of course, Jeffrey Katzenberg is the one that's going to work on the film kind of more in the, on the ground, getting this together with Steven Spielberg, but truly It's got to be Eisner who's pushing this from the studio side and from the company side to get this made and to bring it to uh, theaters for us all to enjoy for sure. Brett, your thoughts, anything else on the production side of things that you wanted to mention? I mean, this set, this set is beautiful. I mean, they do a great job. It's gorgeous. The costume is gorgeous. Yeah. It's just so much fun to like, 
I am such a sucker for old Hollywood. I, I could be mm-hmm. dropped in any story about old Hollywood and just really dig it. But talk to me about it. Oh, well, I love I, I was when I was watching this time, I was especially watching like the physical effects of, you know, like everything that it took to make the animation look real. But in the real world, you know, there were, uh, you know, when they were jumping on the bed, I mean, the the bed frame is moving as though there was, you know, a, a rabbit jumping on it. And, and, and that happened all over the place. And it's just phenomenal. Can you imagine the, you know, the, the, when they got the script that we needed this, we needed this, we needed this, you know, we need to break away this we need, you know, because I think didn't they say that the window was only done once they only made one window for him to go through. I think I'd heard that at some point. So, I mean, it's gorgeous. It's, I mean, the studio of Maroon, you know, I mean, it's just looks like the quintessential studio of the 1940s and it's just gorgeous and the costuming and the whole theming, production design, you know, the physical effects, the casting, everything is so good. So I'm so happy to share it with everyone on for my birthday celebration. Hey, <laughs> are there Let's any other, are there any other areas of this film that you would like to have covered prior to us starting to take this thing in for a landing and beginning to know. wrap it up? Because we've, we've discussed quite a bit. Um, you know, Brandon brought up the film score. I think that that is to uh, anytime you try to watch a film and try to take out or negate the music from it, it's going to have an impact, but this film score does an awful lot of work here as well. Um, yeah. Setting you into that mood of the noir genre in particular, but anything else that you wanted to mention, Brett, before we start to uh, give some of our final thoughts on the film? Oh, well, it's all the character voices and Jessica Rabbit voiced by Kathleen Turner. Who doesn't get credit. Well, I think, yeah, I think that maybe that must have been her choice, maybe, was it? I don't know. Unless they were trying to keep it a mystery. I don't know. It's a mystery. Well, it's, it, you know, it's not. I mean, it's not a mystery because you've heard you, but you hear her, and it's just perfect. It is perfect. But if it starts off with her singing, and and it's Amy Irving, which I'm like going, I, I don't know, was that part of the divorce settlement or something? I don't know. I'm like, like I'm going to sing in this movie because I've always wanted to sing in a movie, and you're going to make me this, you know, femme fatale. But anyway. But uh, but she sounds great. I don't think that, you know, I mean, is there a greatest hits for Amy Irving? I don't know. But I, can I have that for my birthday? Could you please look, look at that? Anyway, but it's just <laughs> so good. All of the characters and the Disney Plus that was about the props and, mm-hmm. and prop they, culture, prop culture. And they show him with his costume that he tries on and everything that was so cool because there's a lot of roger rabbit maybe that's yeah that was the props because that's when they show the window and they said that they did it in one take that's where i got that information so anyway it just took me back to so many wonderful memories of things that we enjoy here on beyond the mouse the disney plus and then all the 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 wonderful people that we've had the opportunity to speak to so it just it just informed my experience so much more in such a wonderful way Yes, absolutely. And so what I want to do is go around because I have a a illustrious panel here to try to get all of these opinions on this movie. Um, So I want to go through and just allow you to hold court for a minute and talk to us about anything that you'd like to bring up on this film as we begin to wrap this up. And I will start with uh, Mr. Flick, uh, if you'd like. Sure. This movie holds up pretty well. For the the time that it was written, I do think there's some problematic things when you look at uh, some of the depictions of uh, the female characters, some of the things that could be considered race depictions, particularly with the weasels and how they they, they, uh, portray some of those characters. I don't think any of it's mean-spirited. And I I think that uh, because of that, you know, I... I'm no expert on the cancel culture, but I think there's a little bit of blowback against the Jessica Rabbit character. Uh, I think you can put that aside because this is a caricature of the femme fatale 
from 1940s noir movies. So I think if you look at it through that lens and you look at it as a love letter to film noir and to cartoons, this thing's kind of an amazing movie. And you put those two things together and Brandon said it before, that shouldn't really work on paper. That doesn't make any sense. And it just does. Uh, so it's a really enjoyable watch. So go check it out for that. Yeah, Brandon, he name dropped you. So let's go to you next. Well, we haven't really talked about it, but the whole Toontown segment of the movie is just, uh, you you understand why Eddie doesn't want to go back. It's headache-inducing <laughs> when you first <laughs> enter Toontown, and it's brilliantly animated, and it's so fun to see all of the little cameos, Jiminy Cricket, Snow White, The Witch. Um, I love when he walks into the restroom for a good time call, Alice in Wonderland. Um, I, I, I love all that kind of stuff. And, of course, we get that legendary scene where you get Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny together on screen, which we'll probably never see again because uh, licensing has become even more crazy in the last 25 years. And it's so fun to see the two of them together. And part of the stipulation was that Mickey Mouse is not a character who would ever do harm to anybody. So Bugs is the one who gives him the phony um, inflatable thing because Bugs is a scam artist and it works. But it's perfect seeing the two of them together. And I love how it just turns from day to night all of a sudden. And, you know, and you get all these great cameos from all these wonderful characters it's it's brilliantly conceived it's a wonderful 15 minute little segment and it's my it's one of my favorite parts of the movie yes absolutely vanessa uh any thoughts that you'd like to give as we start to wrap this thing up or perhaps any uh well wishes for brett uh as he goes into (laughs) this next year well, of course, we love our Brett and Aww. wish him a very happy birthday. Thank and you. so glad I am glad you picked this film. It was nice to rewatch it and see if I could make sense of it. I, I'm glad to hear that I didn't need to. I just need to appreciate it for what it is. This is why we have Brandon and Eric Isn't, on to. Yeah, uh, they're both so good. Clear Thank these you. things so up. My party mm-hmm. for me. Yes, I'm so glad you invited them to your party. Mm-hmm. So I would say watch this movie. Maybe if you have itty bitty ones, maybe don't watch it with them. But yeah, maybe it'll it's... go right over their head, like it did with itty bitty. V Fergie Ferg. So who knows? <laughs> but good selection, Brett, and happy birthday. Thank you. Yes, I uh, don't have too much to add to this film because I do think it is one of those that I, I love to go back to so much. And I've really enjoyed hearing all of your opinions on it. But I do want to wish you the most wonderful happy birthday that I can. I hope that you have a a great birthday day. I know that this will drop shortly after your birthday because uh, we had an interview last week with Yvette Nicole Brown, who is still talking to you about (laughs) your beard as we speak. So uh, what a, what a trip that was, but happy birthday, buddy. Any (laughs) final thoughts from you? Oh, well, thank you for coming to my party. (laughs) I'm like, like, I couldn't think of nicer people to be with and a more fun film to watch. And like all the films, you know, that I really, really enjoy. I can't wait to watch it again. And I will. I can't wait. I mean, we're just celebrating it for one month this year and I'm sharing it with (laughs) with you all and I'm sharing it with the classics people because I'm a giver. So that makes Vanessa's movie next. And I think you have an idea, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yes. Should I share that now? If you want to. We're going to go on the big blue wet thing by talking about Muppet Treasure Island. Ooh. That's going to be so much fun. Yeah. And that's next month, right? Sailing on the ocean on the big blue wet thing. Okay. One of my favorite lines. Do I have a confession time? I have never seen Muppet Treasure Island? Is that what we're seeing? Yes. I've never seen it. So it'll be the first time. So we should do like that group movie thing. Yes. Oh, we have to. We have to do all the lines for you. Oh, Oh, I know. That's great. I'm getting tired. I'm getting tired. (laughs) See, this means nothing to me, but I'm sure it will be. I can't wait. (laughs) 
I I can't wait for it either. And then um, Craig's movie comes, well, a whole year away. But yeah, so you have time yeah, to think about well, that. Well, and we have, have time to, to think about that. So this is really still dropping at the beginning of November ish. And so uh I hope that you enjoy the rest of uh Brett Vember uh from the Front Row <laughs> Network. We will go from Monster Cast to Brett Vember uh as we move Ooh, forward like here that. for your birthday. I yeah. Like that. yeah. Noir November, Brett Vember. I like them all. It's all good. Speaking of Noir Vember, you all have had some wonderful interviews. You've had some wonderful movies that you've talked about on classics. But what do you have on tap for the month of November for us? And I guess we should start doing birthday episodes, Eric. I don't know. I don't even know when yours is, Brandon. Sorry. <laughs> it's a while. His is it's July 7th. Is it July 7th? Yeah. What? Did wow. I just nail it? You did. <laughs> sorry i didn't get you anything for those past that's fine that's fine that's fine no we uh we've got eric do you want to tell them about the november episodes and then i'll go into some of the other stuff yeah we are going to take a look at two great film noirs uh first laura and we're going to have uh our friends from you're going to like this pod and they uh, will be joining us to talk about that wonderful film, Noir. Now, Brandon, I forgot what our uh, second Noir film it's, is going to be. The, the Postman Always Rings Twice. Uh, and I believe we'll have a, another guest. We'll have Rahul Ramnugathan join us uh, again for that one. So look forward to talking about those two great Noir films. Yeah, and then uh, we 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 were kind of light in October with our monster cast episodes, but our uh, November, as we uh, mentioned, is going to be an overstuffed uh, November because I have a lot of good interviews have fallen into our uh, our laps. Um, I'm going to be interviewing George Stevens Jr. Um, uh, fairly soon, and that will uh, drop at some point in November. And then I'm also going to be interviewing um, two authors, Scott. Iman and uh, Christian Blovelt um, on uh, the history of 20th Century Fox and uh, Jay Hoffman will be joining me to talk with Christian on um, Hollywood during World War II so um, we'll be doing that for Veterans Day so so a pretty busy November for us but uh, we're looking and forward to it. And the birthday boy <laughs> just kidding. Yeah and you know and you know and we we thank him on our podcast but uh, it's rare that we get to come on here and say this but for your listeners that don't know Brett Moonlight Lights is our editor as well, and uh, we appreciate him very much. Oh, thank, thank you. you. See, just given, given, given. That's what I do. <laughs> given, given. I enjoy it. I learn so much. You know, Vanessa, I learn so much from these guys. It's so great. I'm sure. I, I, is, I have no doubt. There is nothing I liked more than an overstuffed November. So I am very excited for everything that's going on over there on Classics. Uh, what do we have coming up on Beyond the Mouse? Well, on a special day in release, November 18th, that'll be next Thursday, we are going to bring for... A very special birthday. Uh, it is Mickey Mouse's birthday next week, and we are going to bring you our conversation with Brett Iwin, who has been voicing Mickey Mouse since 2009. Uh, we got to chat with him actually back in October, uh, and so we've been kind of holding this one for his birthday, and it's just going to be a really fun conversation for you to get to experience that. And then we have some wonderful stuff coming up through the out the end of the year. I'm just excited. It's been uh, it's been a fun 2021 for us. And so we're starting to bring that to a close and look forward to a great, big, beautiful tomorrow on Beyond the Mouse. It's just going to be a lot of fun. If you are fans of Front Row Classics and you're coming to us for the first time, please find our podcast just by searching Beyond the Mouse. And you can go back and listen to all of our interviews and all the conversations that we had. You can understand that Brett and I actually do really truly love each other and uh it's all just for show this this back and forth right, oh Brett? yes the banter the it's always the banter it's just for fun anyway, you can I, follow I us on social media as well you can find us on beyond the mouse pod on instagram also beyond mouse on twitter and uh on facebook you can find us beyond the mouse podcast but also we have a facebook group beyond the mouse podcast pals all of us are in there so if you want to chat about this episode please feel free to join that beyond the mouse podcast pals as well and then of course uh, i will plug it for them 
Front Row Classics is a go-to podcast for me. As soon as it drops, I want to listen to it, unless it's a film I haven't seen, but then it encourages me to go back like the day the earth stood still and go and watch that film just so I can listen to their podcast. So go and find them by searching for Front Row Classics on any podcast app. You can also find them on social media on Facebook and Instagram, and also on Twitter uh, if you either search FRN Classics or if you just search for Front Row Classics as well. So check all of that out. It's just been a blast here celebrating your birthday, Brett. Oh, thank you. I've had a great time. Thank you so much. Oh, I need to make cake or buy cake or have cake. I'll send you all cake. Let them all eat. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I can't say that. Well, yeah, don't say that. It didn't work for, you know, Ms. Antoinette. There was like a funny version of that. It was like, you know, they were having a big party, you know, at, you know, Versailles. And they had so much leftovers. And she so very joyously says, oh, well, let them all eat cake. You know, so that's where it really, that's what really happened. Oh, that's Behind what the really scenes happened. at Versailles. <laughs> it was just, oh, we have so much left over. Oh, let them have cake. Oh. Were you a cast member there too? No. <laughs> no, I was actually there. In fact, I think it was. Marie Antoinette. And yeah, yeah. No, no, I don't think oh, I was. That no, I don't so think great. I was Marie Antoinette. I love it. I love it. Eric. Eric with that subtle jab right at the end. (laughs) So for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Vanessa. I'm Brett. I'm Eric. And I'm Brandon. And we will see you real soon. Maybe riding down Toontown. What do you think? (laughs) We'll see. Oh, it's at my birthday party. Y'all come on over. I'm going to have cake. Let them all that? What's that song? Uh, Darn something. Smile, smile, darn, darn you, smile, smile, darn you, smile, smile, darn oh, you, smile. Oh, I love smile. that song.